But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's a grand privilege to see you here this morning. I know looks can be deceiving, but you don't look all that sleep deprived. So I'm, I'm really glad that you are committed to being here in a place of worship this morning and not just in any place, but specifically at this place. And if you have children and especially small children to get them up with uh, one less hour of prep time, you are really to be applauded and commended. Thank you for being here this morning. This lesson is intended to be a follow-up to the lesson that we presented last Sunday morning that was entitled, Focus on What You Have and Not on What You Want. And we talked about last Sunday morning, I kind of want to catch you up to speed so that you'll know what we're talking about this morning. We talked about the danger for us as God's people is to believe that we're somehow shortchanged. So we don't have the necessary financial resources, the personality, the talents, or any of the other resources to live for God and to accomplish his purposes in this world. It's very easy for us to kind of have that woe is me sort of, of syndrome about us. We stated that what we need to do is to either sharpen or maybe completely change our focus, how we're looking and viewing at life, and especially how that we're looking at at our responsibilities and our privileges and our place in the kingdom of Christ. Because the truth is, you have the talents and the friends and the connections and the resources and the experience that you need for right now, for this season of your life. And the Bible for that thinking is Psalm 34 verse 10. Those who trust in the Lord will never lack any good thing. That was last Sunday morning. This is this Sunday morning. I want us to consider some other Bible truths that I think will assure us that we have what we need to accomplish God's will in our lives. Principle number one is do not despise small beginnings. You might want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with the account, and uh, when you look at it, you will re-familiarize yourself with this wonderful and powerful Bible example. Scripture tells us the story there in John chapter 4 of how Jesus met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and he asked her some, uh, for something to drink. Uh, we've, we've talked about that sometimes in our, our classes and how that oftentimes the best way to begin a conversation, to begin a new relationship with someone, to kind of break the ice is to ask them for a small favor. And that kind of puts us in their debt. But it kind of, again, it opens the relationship and breaks the ice. And that's what Jesus did on this occasion. And she was, she was really surprised. Because in those days, the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. This woman was a Samaritan. And especially for a man, a Jewish man, to be talking to a Samaritan woman in public... That just was unheard of in that particular culture. And so we have to know that, I think, to fully appreciate what's going on in John chapter 4. And the Bible says, she said to Jesus, how can you ask me for something to drink? In other words, how, how is this possible? How is this whole conversation taking place? And Jesus said, if you knew who I am, you would ask of me and I would give you living Water. Now, we've studied this dozens, maybe hundreds of times. We immediately, our minds go to the spiritual application. We know what Jesus is talking about. 
But this is the first time this woman's had this conversation. So she doesn't know that Jesus is alluding to something spiritual. And so she immediately begins to view the circumstances from a very human, a very natural kind of perspective. And the Bible says that she said, but sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. You don't have a bucket or a pail. So how can you give me living water? Now let me stop for a moment of application. I wonder sometimes how often we do essentially the same thing. Now again, we know the keys to the story. We're we're clued in. We know, again, what Jesus meant by his offer. And we also understand where the woman was coming from because we understand something of her perspective. But, But even in our own lives, God can assure us that he's going to do something great in our lives. One of my favorite victory verses in all the Bible, I've quoted it often from this pulpit, Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Paul is just telling the Ephesian Christians and us that in our greatest throes of imagination, in our most creative moments, we can never fully comprehend what God can accomplish in our lives. And that's a, that's a powerful verse. But then when we read that, we forget about it, and we start, we start looking just like this Samaritan woman did at what we don't have, uh, of maybe the way we were raised, uh, all the obstacles that there are in our path, and before long we've convinced ourselves that, that maybe God just made a mistake when he called us by the gospel to be his children and to be a part of his spiritual kingdom. And before long, we start dialing back our dreams and dialing back our aspirations for what we think that we could have accomplished in kingdom service. You see, the central problem is, if you're looking at it with that limited natural perspective, like the Samaritan woman was, we need to remember that we we serve a, a supernatural God. So we can't always look at it through natural eyes. We're serving a supernatural God who can accomplish more than we've ever imagined, as we've just seen from Ephesians 3.20. And over and over and over in his word, God has told us and shown us that he can take something ordinary, he can breathe on it, and he can turn it into something that's extraordinary. It may be true. You may only have average talent. But let me tell you something. When God works in your life, You're going to go a lot further than people who have lots and lots of inherent talent but do not have God. I will guarantee you that. So don't talk yourself out of it. And recall that all the shepherd David had was a slingshot and five smooth stones. You ever wondered why the Bible actually supplies that kind of detail in the account in 1 Samuel 16 of of David and Goliath? Five smooth stones. I think it's just... To impress upon us the fact that this man was basically bereft of resources. Going against a nine and a half foot giant, fully armored, had a spear that weighed more than most of us can bench press. And you know what I'm talking about. This guy was, he came out armed to the teeth. And all that David had was a a slingshot and five smooth stones. It looked insignificant. It looked ordinary. There was nothing at all special about it. It was something that David carried with him out into the fields every day to protect his flocks. But God, God breathed in his direction and he defeated Goliath and eventually became the great king of Israel. Samson was surrounded by a huge army. I mean, everywhere he looked, there were horses and chariots and weapons that were being wielded by the enemy, and all he had was the jawbone of a donkey. And I'm not making this up. You know the account. The jawbone of a donkey. No weapon, no armor, 
He didn't have anybody backing him up, but he picked up that jawbone and God breathed his spirit into him and he defeated an entire army of a thousand men single-handedly. I'm just reminding us of these powerful Old and New Testament accounts to help us to appreciate the fact that we serve an extraordinary God. All Moses had was an ordinary stick. Some have speculated it was probably something that he just found lying on the ground one time and thought, you know, that'll make a good staff. That will make something good that I can kind of lean on. And, And yet when he picked up that rod, and the Bible says when he held it in the air, that the Red Sea supernaturally parted. That He was using that innocuous, commonplace instrument as something that could be used powerfully by God. And all that the founders of this good church here at University Church of Christ had in the beginning was a Bible and some bread and some fruit of the vine and a dream. But they acted on that dream. They asked God's blessings on their efforts and they built this mighty church. So don't underestimate what you have in your pocket or in your purse or in your heart. It may look small. It may look insignificant compared to what you're facing. It may seem utterly useless. All the odds are against you if you measure it by human standards. But I'm just, I'm just reminding you this morning that when God blesses his people and when God works in there, and by that I mean in our lives, the odds dramatically change. Remember, you and God are a majority. Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 and verse 31. God can open doors that would have never been opened in the natural world. God can take you beyond where your talent and your education say that you should be. God can make a way even when you cannot see a way with your own natural eyesight. And that's why we have all of these examples in Scripture. To help us to see that God has never left his people without resources. God has never created, never once, a single human being that has absolutely no talents. Now you may think you're that guy, that woman, but you're not. We talked about that at length last Sunday morning. God gave everybody at least one talent, one ability. And so we need to recognize as we're looking at things... Through our natural eyes, it's time that we sharpened our focus, that we changed our focus and began looking at things through God's eyes and everything will change. I mean, the outlook will change. The dynamics will change. Our faith in God will change. I'll guarantee you that. It's not enough just to have, just to have faith in God in his, and his power. Now, that's necessary. We, we need to know that we serve that kind of powerful God. But I'm telling you, it's also important that... that We have the measure of faith that can see the seeds of potential that God has placed within each of us. I I think that most of us are squared away on part one. And that is we don't have any problems knowing that we're serving a powerful God. But when it comes to acknowledging that God has planted the seeds of spiritual greatness in every one of us, all of a sudden we, we grow this humility bone. You know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden we go, not not me. There's not much that I could ever accomplish for God. Wasn't that the major problem of the one-talent man in Matthew 25? Because he had only one talent, the Bible says he went and he buried that talent, and then he waited for the master to return. And, and let me tell you, I guarantee you that the, that the guy with the one talent who buried his talent, his weight was uh, a lot more anxiety-ridden than the two and the five-talent men because they had gone 
and taken their money and they had had that doubled by virtue of their own wisdom and by their, by their initiative to invest that so that when the master came back, they were, they were looking forward to seeing that master. But the one talent man wasn't. In fact, he uses the words, behold, I was afraid. I'm telling you, if you don't want to spend your Christian life afraid, always on the run, then you need to learn to use what talents, what abilities that God has blessed you with and know that God will bless you more. You have to have faith in what God has given you and and, and really believe that not only has God blessed you and that you're not lacking, that you're not shortchanged, that you're not somehow at a disadvantage. Now the creator of the universe is working in your life. And if you'll be confident in what God has given you, He can take what looks like a very little and he can turn it into much. And that's essentially what I wanted to say to you this morning. I'd stop right there if I thought that we all had our heads and our hearts wrapped around that. But I struggle with that and I sense that others of us do as well. The scriptures even say in Zechariah 4 verse 10, Do not despise the day of small things. In other words, don't look at what you have. And then say, I can't do anything important for the Lord. I don't, I don't have a lot of talent. What has given to, God has given to you may seem small, but don't let that fool you. When you use what you have, God will multiply it. You will see an explosion of God's power and his goodness. Here's the second principle that I want us to consider for just a moment. And that is what we've already been talking about. But I want to I build on this. And that is learn to use what you have been given. I I think that's the whole point of Matthew 25 being in the Bible. On one occasion, Jesus had been teaching thousands of people. That wasn't uncommon. That's pretty much how he spent his three-year ministry. And it was getting late in the day. And the Bible says on this particular occasion, because it was late in the day and most of them had been there all day, people were getting what? Hungry, of course. That, That happens. And so Jesus turned to his disciples and said, I... And and think about how they would have reacted to this order. I want you to feed all these people. Now, they didn't have any food out there in the wilderness. There were no grocery stores. They couldn't pop in at a convenience store, you know, and and buy some Vienna sausage. I mean, none of those options were available to them in that day. And on the surface, it seemed as though what Jesus had asked of the disciples was absolutely impossible. But here's the key. And and it's something that you and I need to appreciate in 2020. God will never ask you to do something and then not give you the ability and the resources with which to accomplish that task. You may say, I can't raise this child. He's just too difficult. Wait, God would not have given you that child if he did not then give you the resources and the ability to be able to raise him or her. The people at work are driving me crazy. No, when God God gave you that job, he gave you the ability to do that job well and to do it with a good attitude. Now back to the story. The disciples said to Jesus, we can't feed all these people. It's impossible. We don't have the food. Send them away so that they can go to the villages and get food for themselves. Notice, in their minds, looking through their eyes, that was the only viable option. Send them back to their villages so that they can find some food for themselves. There's no way we can feed all these people. And Jesus listened to their excuses, and finally he said to them, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you've told me all about what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. 
You know the account. You know how it goes. And they replied, we have just five loaves of bread and two small fish. But here again is the stinking thinking. But what is that among so many? Let's be fair. That's a good question, isn't it? How in the world are you going to feed a crowd of thousands of people with five loaves and two fish? They had considered it. They had dismissed it. It simply was not enough. And I think we can easily believe that, that we can do something great for God if we just had more going for us, if we had more talent, and if we had more friends. Here's the big one, if we had more money. But really, folks, that's, that's where it all begins. And that's why we're spending this time in this year looking at our, at our vision. It needs to be sharper. We need to allow our vision to grow as our faith in God grows so that we'll see things differently than we've ever seen them before. So it all begins with changing our attitudes and changing our perspective on how we look at things. We need to get rid of the I don't have enough mentality. God controls, I remind you, the whole universe. And that's the better thought that ought to dominate our thinking. I serve an unlimited God. He controls the whole universe. God is still on his throne. All is right with the world no matter what the newspaper says. And he's, and he's still looking at us today. And he's still saying, give me what you have and don't make excuses. Don't sit on the sidelines of life feeling intimidated and always feeling shortchanged. Put your life, your goals, and your dreams into the hands of the one who created everything in the twinkling of an eye. And so the Bible says that Jesus took those five loaves and those two fish, he prayed over them, and then they were supernaturally multiplied. There is no other explanation. This was a miracle. They were supernaturally multiplied. And that meal, I remind you, ended up feeding probably some fifteen to 20,000 people. And the biblical record says that there were baskets full of leftovers to take home. I mean, those folks, when they finished their meal, they were asking for take-home baskets because there was so much left over. And that's what happens when you and I give God what we have and we stop focusing on what we don't have. God will multiply it. That is, that's it. That's, that's the long and the short of it. God will take whatever we have if, watch this, it's conditional, if we use it. And he will multiply it. Every time. That is a Bible truth. That is a Bible principle. Let me illustrate that quickly in two biblical ways and then we're through with this lesson. If you want to, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse 3. And I'm going to make this short, so don't worry, we're not reading the entire chapter. But, but I read this recently, and it was so powerful in terms of its application of what we're talking about right now, that I wanted to share it with you and remind you of its presence there on the Old Testament pages. The Bible says that there were four lepers who were so desperate for food that they were marching toward the enemy's camp. Now think about that. That's pretty hungry, isn't it? When you're willing to go for people and invade or at least to infiltrate the enemy's camp in order to get something to eat, you're pretty desperate. And so that's what they were doing. Now in the natural realm, they did not, they did not stand a chance of surviving because these four men had nothing. They had no supplies. They had no food. That was the essential problem. They had no protection. And they did not even have their health. Remember, they're lepers. And so they already have those physical limitations, and yet they're marching toward the enemy's camp. 
Now, they could have been sitting around depressed and focused on what they don't have and with the woe is me's and talking about how hungry they are. But the Bible says, and this just blows me away. Every time I read it, this blows me away. The Bible says as they were marching toward the enemy's camp, God multiplied the sound of their footsteps. And now, to the enemy who are encamped, it sounds as if a huge army is approaching and attacking. And the biblical record says the enemies took off running for their lives. And guess what they did? They left all their supplies and all their provisions behind, saving not only the lives of those four lepers, but the people of Samaria as well. God, again, appreciate that. He multiplied the sound of their footsteps. But Randy, I don't have a lot of talent. Maybe not. But what do you have? Let's focus for a moment on what you do have. Do you have any footsteps? Do you have anything that God can multiply and work in your life so that you will have the kind of influence and impact on the people around you? And I'm talking about the people in the church here. So that you can be the kind of influence that will build them up and edify them and want them to to press on in their Christian journey. And also to the people outside this building so that people can look at your life and say, I don't know what he or she has, but I want some of it. Can Can God multiply anything in your life that he can use to his glory and to his honor and for the furtherance of the borders of the kingdom of Christ? I don't have a lot of money though, Randy. Well, maybe not, but do you have a cake pan? Can you use that cake pan to bless someone's life as you, whether they're whether they've lost a loved one or whether they've been in the hospital, whatever it is, can you cook them a meal? I don't have, I don't have a building for my new business. That, that business, that small business that I've always wanted to start, maybe not. But do you have an old rundown feed store that you could clean up and rent? You see, if, if you use what God has given you, he'll multiply it. He will multiply your talent. He will multiply your resources. He will multiply your influence. In fact, I've done the math, literally. And I have found that God is not so much a God of addition as he is a God of multiplication. God will multiply what you have if you use it to his glory and to his honor. So what you have may may seem small today. But if you'll just keep on honoring God and glorifying God with what you do have... God's guarantee is that it will not stay small. If you need to write that down, please write it down so you'll remember it. If not, engrave it on your hearts. And you may not have as much as as a family member or a co-worker or a friend. But before I leave this lesson, I need to remind you that that's okay because you are not running their race. You're running your race. And God does not expect you to be them and to use their resources. He he expects you to work really, really, really hard at being you. Using what you do have. Remember that when David went out to, to face Goliath, King Saul tried to get David to wear his, that is Saul's, armor. Y'all remember that? He said, you can't go out there without any armor. And so Saul says, here... I will let you borrow mine. David didn't have any protection. His only weapon was that slingshot that we mentioned a moment ago. 
And here he was going against this nine and a half foot seasoned warrior. But David was a lot smaller than Saul. In fact, if you've read the Bible, you know that pretty much everybody was smaller than Saul. Saul stood head and shoulders above the crowd. So David is, is, has been offered Saul's armor to wear that. And so here David was a small and Saul was an XXL. Everybody's on the right page now, right? And when David put that armor on, it just swallowed him. And that's because of a simple truth. That what God has given to other people, are, are you hearing me, church? What God has given to other people isn't going to work for you. Don't try to use somebody else's talents or abilities. Surely don't try to use somebody else's money. That's called thievery. You work on using what God has given to you. Don't try to be like somebody else. Don't try to wear somebody else's armor. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Because if you put that armor on, you're going to be uncomfortable just as David was. And all it's going to do is just slow you down. Why? Because it wasn't designed for you. You're unique. You're one of a kind. God custom made your armor. This morning, spiritually speaking, you are wearing designer army armor. Think about that for a moment. Nobody has what you have. We're all individually crafted by God who knows exactly how to design people. And I'm just telling you this morning that God broke the mold before he made you. So, let's end the story and the lesson. David took that armor off and he said, basically, no thanks. This isn't for me. I, I can't be who God created me to be wearing somebody else's armor. And then by implication, David announced, I have everything I need. What was that? I remind you, let's do a quick inventory, a slingshot, five smooth stones. So David went out and he defeated Goliath with much less equipment than Saul had in mind for him. And, and Goliath was wearing a full set of armor, remember? And he had that huge spear. And all David had was the slingshot that he used in protecting his flock. And the difference was that that slingshot was a part of David's divine destiny. If he had looked at it and thought, it's nothing, it's small, it's insignificant, I can't do this, then David would have missed his destiny. I'm just asking you this morning to not dismiss what God has given you. It may not seem to be as impressive as what somebody else has. You may not have the talents, the looks, the personality, the income, the influence that someone else has. But consider the possibility that God, what God has given you has been custom made for you alone. He specifically gave you your gifts and your talents and your looks and your personality. And it was not, it was not a random happening. God does not do things accidentally. You are who you are because God made you that way. And he gave you your talents and your abilities. God didn't close his eyes and say, here, just take this. It'll have to do. No, he matched you for your world. Think about that. Ponder on that. Pray about that. I remember being at a lectureship once. No, not last week. Another one. Many, many years ago at Freed Hardeman, and G.K. Wallace, I don't know how many of you remember Brother G.K. Wallace, uh, a diminutive man, a rather short man. And he was uh, sitting on the desk getting ready to, to lecture at one of the evening lectures at Freed all those years ago, and he was seated 
between, now I'm really going to ask you to remember uh, way back, he was seated between Andrew Connolly and Jim Dearman, both rather tall men. In fact, Brother Connolly, if, if you knew Andrew Connolly, you know that not only was he tall, but he was broad. I remember riding down the road with Brother Andrew one time when he held a meeting for us, and he said, uh, Randy, where do you buy your, your dress shirts? And I said, Sears? I, I like the Craftsman brand. And I said, where do you get yours? He said, well, I have to, I have to custom order mine because I have a 19-inch neck and 38-inch sleeves. I said, that's not a problem for me. But a uh, big man, you know, he had his own zip code. And, and so Brother Wallace was seated between Jim and Andrew. And after the lecture was over, somebody came up to Brother Wallace jokingly and said, how did it feel sitting between those two giants? And in his inimitable way, Brother Wallace, without hesitation, said, I felt like a dime seated between two nickels. <laughs> Size does not determine value. I'm just saying you have to be comfortable with who you are and with who God made you to be. You're not too short. You're not too tall. You're just the right size. You have been custom made by the creator of the universe. You're not lacking in any good thing. You've not been shortchanged, and you are not at a disadvantage. You have exactly what you need for where you are for this moment in your life. I have said a number of times in classes and from the pulpit that I, my impression of God's great men and women of scripture is that God's greatest challenge with each of those great men or women was not in taming their mighty egos. It was getting them to believe in themselves and to believe that they had the necessary resources to do whatever it was that God had commissioned them to do, whether that was leading the Israelites out of Egypt or whatever it was. How about you this morning? Are you tired of living in mediocrity? Are you tired of living in the world? Aren't you ready to live in God's house? You can become his child this morning. By sincerely repenting of all of your past sins, confessing Jesus as God's son, and being baptized where the blood of Jesus will wash away every one of your sins and give you a brand new start in life. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing? Ye famishing, ye weary, come, and thou shalt be richly fed. Hear the invitation, come whosoever will praise God for full salvation, for whosoever will all things are ready come to the feast leave every